would like to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me, if you will, to Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, my friends, and here we are in chapter 7. As you may recall, 2 Corinthians has been entitled, uh, The Heart of the Apostle. But there is, there is no letter like uh, 2 Corinthians that just spends time on the writer as opposed to the God who moved them to write. Some great insight into Paul, and Paul gives us some great insight into how to go through some difficult times. So friends, as you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll start off in verse 1, but let's pray together. Father God, it is our prayer that you meet with us here today. We know you never leave us. You never forsake us. You are always present with us. And God, I know that your presence is here to bless. I know that blessing takes different shapes and sizes in our life. And I know, God, that only a God as great as you could meet the needs of all of these people here in this room and our needs being as different as our faces, as different as our experiences. And so, God, we thank you ahead of time, knowing, God, that you will give us the answers to the questions that we need answered. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we dive in here, just kind of take a big breath. Ready? And then exhale. Feels good, doesn't it? Just relax. Are you comfortable this morning? Ian, go ahead, wiggle around, get some room. Let me uh, help you out a little bit. Ready? I didn't say sleep. I said comfortable. (laughs) Comfortable is an unusual term, my friends. Comfort is an unusual term. It's going to be the center of what we talk about here today. But comfort is is an unusual word. If you do a Google search for the word comfort, the first thing that pops up are a number of images of blankets and sheets and pillows, and it seems that comfort might have something to do with sleep. And yet, there are restaurants that serve comfort food. And there are friends who offer words of comfort people sleep with a comforter on their bed. There's a conspiracy with that word. Some people even make a comfortable living. And yet none of those help us with the word comfort at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, you perhaps have been told every now and again you need to get out of your comfort zone. Comfort, what an unusual term. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here today. Remember the context of this letter is that Paul is suffering all kinds of severe affliction. Remember, and I know that it's, it's, it's something to hear, but not really grasp. People are chasing this guy, and they want him dead. I know it sounds like a TV show, but it's the real deal, my friends. And Paul isn't turning back. He's not shrinking back. He's not giving up. Paul keeps sticking it out because he believes in what he's doing, that it really matters, and the purpose of his ministry is people for the glory of God. Comfort. 
unusual term and used so many different ways. But it has been said that the role of a pastor is to make the comfortable uncomfortable. I wonder if that's crossed your mind today. God, everything seems to be going well, and I'm fat and happy, and uh, and maybe what you need is a good poke in the chest by the Spirit of God that says, wake up, pal, there's more to do. Sometimes we need that, friends. Sometimes we need an arm put around us to find out that everything's all right. Remember hearing the story about a uh, number of different ways, really, but all has the same impact here. Uh, the, the, the impact, the story goes like a big storm out on the sea in the ship. And this newbie on the ship for the first time is, it, it doesn't know what to do, you know. And he can look around and he sees that the crew is in severe panic. So he takes a risk. He runs across the deck to look into the pilot house at the captain. And the captain, standing at the wheel, simply notices out of the corner of his eye this young man, looks over and offers him a big smile. Well, friends, that guy ran back to the crew and said, everything's okay, because the captain is smiling. There is nothing more confident than in knowing and comforting than knowing that the one is in charge says, everything's okay. We're talking about comfort here this morning. Comfort. Let's take a look here in chapter 7 where Paul recounts how God has comforted him in the midst of great affliction. And in the way that God did it might be very well surprising to us here this morning. So let's take a look. And by the way, let's define the word comfort if we ought to. The word is to soothe or console or reassure or to bring cheer. The word console, it certainly is a transformation of the spirit of a person when they are consoled. When everything seems to be falling apart, when there seems to be nothing you can do, and someone steps in and lets you know it'll be okay. So here we are in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians in verse 1, and we notice the first way in which Paul experienced comfort was from a visit by a friend. Paul was comforted by a visit from Titus. Notice, if you will, verse 1, since we have these promises, and now Paul is transitioning from chapter 6, and I would suggest that if they ever renumber the Scriptures, they ought to put this one in the previous chapter. You remember at the end of chapter 6, Paul recounted the promises of God in adoption and presence and love and being with um, the, the believer who lives in according with God's plan, who, who walks by faith and loves him. And, and Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, and he gives them some instruction. And the first instruction here is to clean up. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Again, that kind of really belongs in chapter 6, but there it is in chapter 7. Paul instructing them to clean up, but I want you to notice that Paul appeals to them also to open up. In verse 2, Paul says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. 
I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul loved this church. You may recall that Paul was answering in this letter a number of accusations tossed at him by some some rebellious uh, participants in this church are outside, a lot of accusations. And Paul is, op- is, is appealing to them. Look, I love you. You know, don't hold me at an arm's length. Don't look me up and down as if I'm some dangerous person to you. Open up, my friends. But then notice verse 4. Paul told how God caused them to cheer up. This is the first peek at some comfort, my friends. Verse 4, Paul says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you, and I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. For those of you who like counting, that's number one. (laughs) In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And I just want to pause for a moment that we might read that again in case you missed it. Paul says he's filled with comfort and then states this, in all our affliction, I am overjoying, I am overflowing with joy. It is that which the world cannot figure out. The world says when you are in affliction, blame everyone else, walk over everyone else and get out on your own. But the believer knows this, that there is no place we go alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Paul was not alone in it. Whatever it is that Paul experienced, he had the joy given to him from God, even in the midst of affliction, overflowing with joy. Why? For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And here are the two favorite words in the Bible for me, but God. We were flailing about. We had no place to go. We did not. We were fighting on the outside, turmoil on the inside, but God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God sent the right person at the right time to the right way to make a difference in someone who was struggling. Think about that. How many times has that happened in your life? You get a phone call from someone you haven't talked to in years Right when you need somebody from an outside perspective to give you a word of encouragement. I mean, how many times have you been pushing that cart through the traffic pattern of the grocery store only to run into someone who was delighted to see you when all you could think is how everyone hated you? A mistake, an error, a carelessness, whatever it is, and God has you have that uh, that wonderful experience with someone God placed right there to give you a smile when you needed it. Can you remember anything like that? Any times in your life? Maybe you can remember being that person. How God cares for us. God is the God of all comfort, and He comforts us 
when we are in difficult times. How does he do it? Well, I notice in Paul's case, it was by sending a person to him. And that was certainly the first of the uh, number of comforting opportunities Paul had. But there's that word, but God. It reminds me of the story of Joseph. Do you remember that? Joseph, there he stands before his brothers who had sold him into slavery. I mean, they said, let's kill this guy. And they're like, no, let's make money. What kind of monsters are these people? And yet that's what they did. And there's poor Joseph in a pit crying out to them. And they don't care. And they sell him off to some traders. And you know the story. Until one day God brings those brothers in front of him. And and certainly Joseph is reminded of that dream about how his brothers will bow before him, even his mother and father. It's hard to imagine when when you're nothing but a slave in Egypt and you're, you're thrown in prison for unwarranted reasons. And here they are pleading for their very lives, knowing that this guy can flick a pinky and they're dead. And Joseph knows this. You meant it for evil. Say it with me. But God meant it for good. But God. Wonderful, wonderful words. You and I are lost in our sin. We have hell before us and we deserve every second and every turmoil. Every torment that there is hell can throw at us. But God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here is Paul in all of this affliction. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And it may very well be that you are reminded of this today. Because in the providence of God... He has you intersecting with someone you haven't seen in a while that simply needs some encouragement. They need to know that someone cares, that there is a God who loves them and has provided for them. Marching orders, my friends, when we understand what God does and how He works through us, that's a responsibility we have. So keep a sharp eye today. So Paul told how God had caused them to cheer up and how? By sending the right guy at the right time. Well, I notice this, friends, as we move on to verse 7. Paul was also comforted by the hearing of some good news. It's not always the intersection of lives that do it, and sometimes it is. But sometimes it's just hearing the right message at the right time. You ever been driving down the road, flying, wandering, you're in turmoil on the inside, and you hear a radio station, and it sounds like nothing but blather until that very moment they say something that interrupts all of your thoughts, and it's just God breaking through to tell you what you need to hear. Paul had an experience like that. Notice, if you will, verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort by which he was comforted by you. I mean, Paul sent young Titus to go minister to the church at Corinth. It was like throwing a lamb to the lions and see if you can make a difference there. 
And now Titus was finally given the, the lowdown on how the church had treated him. And Timothy, or Titus came away encouraged. And you know what? In the midst of his affliction, that brought comfort to him. The church is doing the right thing. I don't have to be there to make it happen. Even on their own with the Spirit of God within them, they took care of this guy. And so Titus was comforted by the church, and that was good news to Paul. But it wasn't just that news. I notice also as we continue on here at the end of verse 7, as he told us of your longing and your mourning and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. And it wasn't just the good news that they treated Titus well and they comforted him. It was also that, my friends, the church was zealous for Paul. Paul had been answering one accusation after another. And I'm sure Paul thought, these people just hate me. I mean, how can I go another page talking about me? But what great news. They were zealous for Paul. A zeal. They were mourning for him and longing for him and a zeal for him. And it caused Paul to rejoice. That's some good news, my friends. When you hear that someone's heart has turned. And it's really just the beginning. You know, let's face it, we go through this life and people say things and do things and it's hurtful and we, and we do what we normally do and we're hurt. We step back and we put up the defenses. Even our body's creating a scab or a callus to toughen us out. And yet the Spirit of God works within and breaks the heart, softens the heart within to step outside even in the, the danger of another cut here or there and to be right with another believer. Beautiful picture. The heart of the church was changing. And notice the Titus was comforted by the church. That's good news. And the church was zealous for Paul. That's surprising yet good news. And look at here in verse 8, the church at Corinth had repented. Let's talk about the word repent. This is a word often misunderstood in the, in the Scriptures. People say that you have to trust Christ and repent of your sin. I would suggest to you that you're not trusting Christ if you haven't repented of your sin. To repent means to turn. And when we turn to Christ, we turn away from sin. And that's why we ask Him to forgive us of our sin, to, to forgive us of the penalty of our sin, that we ask for this new life, which means we're saying goodbye to an old life. The problem is we keep going and visiting. That's the real problem. But repentance means to turn to something. When Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, he was rejoicing that in that they had turned to God away from idols. Repentance is an act of faith. Trusting in Christ as opposed to what you were trusting in before is an act of repentance. Repentance is a turn. And the church at Corinth had repented. Notice, if you will, verse 8, Paul's letter had made them grieve. What letter are we talking about? First Corinthians. 
First Corinthians makes you think, I would hate to visit that church. I mean, those people are sick. I mean, there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom, and they're suing each other, and they're getting drunk at communion, and I mean, that's despicable. But think about this. The Spirit of God leads Paul to pen every one of those words in an inspired message delivered to this church. And they heard it, and they responded to it. And the news is delivered to Paul that they had repented. Verse 8, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. It's hard to tell people the truth. It's hard to stand up and say, pal, you did the wrong thing here. It didn't honor Christ, and it's not going to help you. It's hard to say that to people. But how wonderful it is when the people of God hear the Word of God, and their hearts are changed. And repentance for the glory of God is seen. And here Paul is saying, it was hard. It was hard to see the impact that letter had on you. And yet I'm glad it had the impact it did. You see, their repentance made them grieve. Paul's letter made them grieve. But the grief caused them to repent. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you fell to godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And Paul explains, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief says, I'm going to get back at you. That guy's going to pay. I hope something happens to her she hurt me. But godly grief says, I'm the one that needs to turn. I'm the one that needs to respond. My heart needs to be different because of this. And so their grief caused them repentance. Can you even imagine this church that was worldly, that was an embarrassment? I mean, they had been long in the faith, and yet they were babes in Christ. And here is the news that Paul got in the midst of his affliction. It's worth it. God is using this ministry. God is using these letters. God has not forgotten these people. And so their grief caused them to repent. And notice in verse 11, the repentance led to action. And by the way, that's what repentance does. When you turn to something. You're not just turning away from something. That's that church at Thessalonica. They didn't just turn away from idols and find God. They turned to God and left everything behind. It was a new life. Do you remember that when you were uh, whatever age you were when you trusted Christ? You know, and then you wondered, well, what about my friends? And you talked to them about Jesus and they kind of moved back, like literally, because they didn't want to be associated with a weirdo like you. You know, your concern was, uh, what do I do with my friends? And the biggest concern is, what are your friends going to do with you? 
because you are now a testimony of God's work. The sad thing is that oftentimes you don't have to walk away from your friend's influence. They will oft walk away from you. And here is this repentance that has led to action. Verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. When their hearts turned, their eyes turned, and they saw everything in a new light. Paul was now comforted by the repentance of these believers. How was that comforting? Because that's what was Paul's work. That was everything he threw his life into. That's why he was suffering this affliction to begin with. And it was working. God had blessed it. God had done a great work that brought these people to repentance. Do you remember Luke chapter 15? It is such a wonderful passage. It, it, taken separately, you miss the whole point. Luke chapter 15 has three stories in it. There is a widow who lost a coin. You may recall that. And she lost this coin and she cleaned her whole house for it. I mean, she swept everything up. She's got to find that coin. And she did. And when she found it, she invited all of her friends to come and celebrate. And then there was a, a shepherd who lost a sheep. He had a hundred of them. And one ran off. And he left the 99 to go find that one sheep. And there it was. And he brought it home. And you know what he did? He brought all his friends together to celebrate. And then there's another story that rounds it all up about a man who had two sons. And the younger of the two came to him and said, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. It's not really what he said, but it's what he meant. Give me my inheritance now is what he asked for. And then he took it and he spent it frivolously until he had nothing left. And he's eaten the, the leftovers of pigs until he came to himself. And he went home. And his dad saw him from afar off. And he ran to him in embarrassment in the east for an old man to run. And yet he did. And he threw a great feast. He killed the fatted calf and celebrated. And the point of those three stories is the angels of heaven rejoice when one person repents. And there was Paul with a heartbeat of heaven celebrating at the hearts that turned to God away from their sin. Oh, repentance, what a joy it is. Well, in summary, my friends, as we bring it home here, look at verses 13 to 16. 
In summary, we found Paul in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his affliction, rejoicing. The joy he talked about, even in the midst of affliction, he had great joy. Why? Because God had comforted him with the timely visit of a friend and with some great news from his friends. Titus found his visiting refreshing. Therefore, we are comforted, Paul said. Therefore, in light of all of these things, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Titus found Paul's boasting to be true. I mean, that's some great news, some things to rejoice about. Paul had said some great things about the church at Corinth, and he wondered when Titus got there if he would find out it was true. But notice verse 14, for whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. You didn't let me down, church. You were exactly who you were supposed to be when Titus got there. And Titus' affection for the church has grown. Notice this. I'm guessing Titus had some, some questions about this church. Maybe looked at this church a little funny. Said, I don't know, Paul. There's some, some bad guys there. I don't know. Maybe they're not worth investing in. And Paul says, no, you don't know them like I do. Some great people there. God is doing a great work among them. And here in verse 15, we find that God had changed Titus's heart. His affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. And in light of it all, Paul found out that he could trust the church that they were who they were in front of him and behind him. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you, he says. You are who you are in front of me when I'm there and when I'm gone. And so to wrap it all up, friends, the message is this. God's method of comforting the people of God is by means of the people of God. God comforts the people of God by means of or through the people of God. It is that we rejoice when others rejoice, and we weep with others who weep. It is not an issue of how the world looks at it. Well, at least it wasn't me. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Friends, when it happens to one another, it happens to us. We are a body. We are a family. And when one is hurting, we all are hurting. When Paul was hurting, the church was hurting. And God used this church to bring comfort to him. And so the instruction is this, comfort those who are hurting. I mean, I hope we saw that early on in this message, friends. God is the God of all comfort but he comforts others through you. Comfort the people who hurt. And notice this truth that pops out of this. Think about the things that encouraged Paul. 
a chance meeting, a timely meeting with a friend, eh, that one we can relate to. But how about the impact of, of people miles and miles away and the change that God has brought in their lives? Is that something that would bring comfort to you? Well, good for them. You know, that other church, they're having success. Good for them. Or is that an encouragement to your heart? When you hear what God is doing elsewhere, is it not a reminder of you in your own life? I'll tell you, friends, what you value determines where you will find your comfort. What you value determines where you will find your comfort. It won't be in the refrigerator, friends, unless the flesh is all that matters to you. But to see the life of someone change ought to be what values the people of God. What you value determines where you will find comfort. So live well, because you never know the impact your choices may have on someone else. Think about that. I mean, here is the great Apostle Paul suffering greatly. And you know what brought encouragement to his heart? The repentance of believers. The choices of believers to follow Christ. You never know the actions you take that may make a difference in someone's life today. Even the people in this room right now. Every one of us needs encouragement somewhere. In some area of our life, we need encouragement. And God has put you here to comfort someone today. To comfort someone on the way out of here, where you end up today, at a restaurant, at a supermarket, wherever it is you go. Someone needs some comfort. Comfort.